I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Today we continue our series of messages from Mark's gospel. We meet one of the last two persons saved by Jesus before he died on the cross. This was a woman whom the world called unworthy, but she honored Jesus as worthy, and he did the same for her. Our scriptural passages are from Mark 14 and Luke 7. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Mark 14, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then moving to Luke's gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them would, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. 
take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. She was standing beside a service station outside Mobile, Alabama. She was dressed to advertise and to reveal. She had way too much makeup on. A man had already been attracted to her like a rat to cheese. They were talking, probably working out a deal. I finished paying for my gasoline, went back to my car, and my wife said, it's pretty clear what she's doing. Some say prostitution is the oldest profession in the world. Prostitutes were active in Jesus' day, and they still are on the streets of Columbia and online. But seldom does a prostitute crash a nice, respectable dinner party. But it happened one day, and three of the four Gospels give us the details. Earlier, I read to you both Mark and Luke's account of this event. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem for the last time. In just a few days, he will die on a cross. But first, he spends a few days in Bethany, a little suburb of Jerusalem. Simon the leper invited him to dinner at his home. Somehow Simon had been cured of leprosy. We are not told how. Evidently, Jesus did not cure him or else Simon would have been much more grateful to Jesus than he was. Luke tells us that Simon was a Pharisee, a religious leader. He was probably not an enemy of Jesus, just a curious skeptic. He could have been a collector of celebrities. When a rabbi or famous teacher like Jesus was a guest for dinner, it was the custom of the host to leave the door open so that people could drop in, not to have dinner, but to stand around in the background and listen to the wisdom of the teacher. So, a strange woman wandered in, a woman that Luke tells us, was a prostitute. Somewhere she had heard Jesus say something or saw him do something that had touched the deepest chords in her heart. Perhaps she had heard about how Jesus had rescued a woman from a vigilante mob. This woman was caught in the act of adultery and she was dragged by this mob to Jesus because the, the law said she ought to be stoned to death. And so they brought her to Jesus saying, go ahead, and, go ahead and lead the stoning. Jesus faced this mob and said, if any of you has no sin, come up here and throw the first stone at her. No one came forward. They began to slink away, the eldest first. And finally, Jesus was left standing alone with the woman. And he said to her, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. No doubt, word about that incident got around widely. 
And probably this woman of Bethany, this prostitute, had heard of it. She certainly perceived that Jesus was different from any other religious teacher she had ever known or seen. Because most of them treated her with absolute contempt. They wouldn't even speak to her. They considered her type to be fit fuel for the fires of hell. But Jesus was different. There was a, there was a winsomeness, a kindness about him, about him that touched her very soul. For the first time in her life, she dared to believe that God really did love even her. So, when she heard that Jesus was going to be a guest at Simon's house, she just had to go there and to say thank you. The woman showed up at Simon's house that evening with a flask of very expensive perfume. Perfume was very important in first century Palestine because if you were a guest at a dinner, someone would be at the door to wash your feet and to put a drop of perfume on you because that would lend a, a favorable ambience to the dinner occasion. But this woman's perfume was different. It was so very expensive. We don't know where she got it. Made of pure nard, probably imported from India. We're told that this flask of perfume could be sold for the total annual wages of a workman. Now you just think what that would mean in American dollars. This was some precious perfume. And what she did with the perfume shocked everybody. Mark's gospel tells us that she poured it on Jesus' head. But Luke says she anointed his feet. Luke's version is probably correct because in first century Palestine, the dinner table was only about a foot off the floor. People did not sit at table for dinner. They reclined, leaning on their left elbow and reaching for food with their right hand. Their feet would have been extended away from the table. So it would have been easy for her to anoint his feet, but rather difficult to get to his head. She anointed Jesus. And the other guests grumbled. They said, what a waste that is. You could sell that perfume Get all that money, give it to the poor. What a waste. But Jesus said, wait a minute. The poor you're going to have always with you and you can always help them. But I'm going to be gone soon. And this woman has done a good thing. And her kind deed will always be remembered and always praised. The late Bishop W.T. Handy used to ask a hypothetical question about this incident. He said, what if the woman had carefully unscrewed the top of her flask and put her finger at the top and then just put a little dab behind Jesus' ear? Jesus might have turned and said, well, thank you, but nobody else would have noticed. She certainly would not have made it into the scriptures, that's for sure. But this woman's heart wouldn't let her do it. A little dab wouldn't do. She was so full of love and gratitude. She had to show it extravagantly, lavishly. That's the way you know real love is. 
It's never rationed out in some miserly fashion. It flows exuberantly. Have you ever been that exuberant and unrestrained about your love for Jesus? Have you ever just put aside your pride and your sophistication and just knelt spiritually at Jesus' feet, just whispering, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Souls are saved at Jesus' feet. Souls are saved at Jesus' feet. There we realize that there's nothing we could do that would make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do that would make God love us less. Luke tells us that back at Simon's house, the host was angry. You could almost see smoke coming out of old Simon's ears. He had hoped for an evening of lofty debate about the finer points of Mosaic law. Designed to confirm what he suspected that Jesus was maybe a mental lightweight. But instead this prostitute had wandered in and she was dominating the attention of everybody. And Simon was tempted to call the cops and have her thrown out. But he had a feeling that if he did, Jesus would leave too. Jesus knew what Simon was thinking, and Luke reveals it to us. Simon was thinking, if this man were a prophet, and that's about the highest estimate Simon could conceive of Jesus. If he were a prophet, he would recoil from this woman's touch. He would denounce her as a sinner and ask me, the host, to have her thrown out. At that moment, Jesus diverts attention away from the woman and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon replied, tell me. He would have been wiser to ask, will it hurt? Jesus said, let's suppose that a banker made two loans, one for $5,000, one for $50,000. And uh, soon thereafter, a recession hit the economy of that country. And so neither debtor was able to pay. In an extraordinary display of generosity, which would have distressed the board of directors of the bank, the banker wrote off both loans. Both loans. Jesus then asked, which debtor would love the banker more? And even though Simon was no rocket scientist, he got this one right. He said, the one who had the bigger debt would love him more. Jesus said, you're right. Now look at the contrast between you and this woman. When I came into the house tonight, you did not provide the common courtesies, somebody to wash my feet, a little oil for me, to, the, the customary kiss on, on both cheeks. None of that did you provide. But this woman has provided it all with her own oil, her own tears, 
her own hair and kissing my feet. Then Jesus added, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Now no, make no mistake, Jesus was giving Simon a verbal spanking and the unspoken message was even sharper. Jesus was saying, Simon, you and this woman are more similar than you realize. You're both sinners. And compared to the righteousness of God, you are both as filthy as a pig pen. She has her sexual sin. You've got your pride. She never goes to church. You go to church all the time and it does you no good. Her lifestyle has been crude. And you are judgmental. You are so alike. But aside from the similarities, there are a couple of big differences between you two. First, she knows her sins and has repented. But you've never even faced your sin, much less repented. And secondly, she sees me as worthy, so worthy, she has lavished upon me the most expensive item at her disposal. But you, Simon, you, you don't think I'm worthy at all. And then Jesus shocked Simon and the other guest by saying to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Simon, who could never conceive of Jesus as the Son of God, was mortified that a mere man would dare to forgive somebody's sin. Only God can do that. Now, let's get personal and locate ourselves in this revealing story. I want you to imagine Simon the Pharisee and the prostitute on a continuum. And without thinking of left and right in political terms, let's put Simon on the left and the woman on the right. This woman is a confessed sinner, deeply repentant and joyously forgiven. Her mood is gratitude, hope, and love. Simon over there on the left is not even aware of his sin. He is proud, condescending, self-righteous, and judgmental. Simon knows everything about religion except the one essential, that he is a sinner who needs a Savior. The one thing that can shut a person off from God is self-sufficiency. Where are you and I on this continuum between Simon and the woman. Perhaps these questions will help us to answer that. First, when was the last time you felt real sadness over some sin in your life? If you can't remember a time, that moves you toward Simon. Second, do you remember and treasure the very first time that you confessed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? If the answer is yes, that aligns you more with the woman. Third, in the secrecy of your heart, do you think that God really ought to be proud to have somebody as upstanding as you, as one of his followers? If the answer is yes, that moves you toward Simon. Fourth, do you sometimes marvel 
that God would die for a sinner like you? If the answer is yes, that moves you toward the woman. Fifth, if God asks you to list five reasons why you should be admitted to heaven, would you list your accomplishments? If the answer is yes, that moves you toward Simon. And sixth, do you marvel that God found a way to reach even you with the good news of Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, that moves you toward the woman. Over this past year, the awful COVID pandemic has had the world in tension and fear. And thankfully, vaccines are beginning to tame that plague, but still, thousands of people across the world are dying of it. But an even worse spiritual pandemic has been around throughout human history. It's called sin. When mankind first sinned, something more dangerous than COVID was injected into humanity's bloodstream. Whereas COVID can do nothing other than shorten your days on earth, sin is eternally lethal. Those contaminated with sin, and all of us are, must either find the cure or spend eternity in a horrible place where God is utterly absent. There is one cure. It is the precious blood of Jesus shed on the cross. The supply is unlimited. Though the cure cost God a whole lot, it's free for us. The cure begins with the one thing Simon couldn't do, confess his sin. And the second part of the cure is to trust in this Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Think again of that redeemed former prostitute who anointed Jesus. One day she died and reported to the gates of heaven. I want you to just imagine how the angels must have cheered when this woman entered the pearly gates. The head angel Gabriel probably announced, hey, you angels and saints, get on your feet because the golden bells are ringing for the person who rendered the last kindness for the Lord Jesus before he died for the sins of the world. Salute her, you saints and angels. And no doubt the applause was deafening. That woman in Bethany may have been one of the two last people Jesus saved before he died on the cross. The other was a thief who died on a cross beside him. Now I want you to think about this incredible truth. Think about how Jesus closed out his earthly ministry. Did he make a special appeal as he closed things out, a special appeal to the religious leaders of Israel? No. Did he make a special appeal to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate? No. Did he send a message to the emperor of the Roman Empire? No. Instead, he gathered into his fold a prostitute and a thief. After all, 
Jesus taught that in the kingdom of God, the world's priorities would be reversed. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Dr. Dale Galloway of Asbury Seminary tells a wonderful story about a little boy named Chad. Chad had been diagnosed as a slow learner. The other children did not mistreat him. They just ignored him. When they were walking to school, he usually walked several steps behind the other children. Valentine's Day was coming, and the children were invited to bring Valentine's. Chad told his mother he wanted to make a Valentine for every child in the class, all 35. So she got the paper, the crayons, the scissors, everything. And he went to work, 35 Valentines. But his mother was worried. She was afraid he would not receive any Valentines. And on Valentine's Day, when the kids were coming home from school, she was anxious, watching for them. She had prepared some cookies and milk to cushion his disappointment. And then she saw the children coming. As usual, he was walking a couple of steps behind the others. And she could not see any valentines in his hands. She anticipated that when he entered the house, he would burst into tears. When he came through the door, she heard him say, not a one, not a one. Her heart sank. And then when he saw her, he burst into a smile and said, I didn't forget a one, not a single one, all 35. When Jesus went to that cross, he didn't forget a one, not a single one, not even a prostitute and a thief. Nor did he forget you and me. For that we should be eternally grateful. Why not thank him this morning? In just a moment, I will invite you to come to this altar and stand or kneel here for a few moments. Come whether this is your first time at the altar or your tenth time. Here at the altar, we can imagine ourselves kneeling at the feet of Jesus as did the woman of Bethany, we can say, Lord Jesus, I give my heart to you because you gave your all for me.